This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you by Physicians for Social Responsibility and listeners like you. From WMPG, I'm Ann Hallward, a psychiatrist in Portland, Maine, and this is Safe Space Radio, a show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. Today, we continue our series on hidden emotions, stories and conversations about loneliness, guilt, jealousy, and today's topic, humiliation. We'll be bringing you two stories about the humiliation that we bring on ourselves, not the kind where someone else treats us horribly. We're going to get into that next week. Today, we have two courageous tellers who are willing to share stories about moments when they wanted the earth to swallow them up. Moments where they already felt at their worst and then were unexpectedly exposed. As we've been doing throughout this series, I'll be having a short conversation with a storyteller after each story, and we'll try to sort out what we can learn about humiliation, what the different ingredients of it are, and what we can do to recover. Here's Sarah. My name is Sarah, and I live in Wyndham, Maine, and... Um I can't believe I'm going to tell you this story, but I'm going to tell you this story. It feels very embarrassing. Um, I was in a staff meeting with some colleagues. Um, I'm a social worker. And um, I needed to call a colleague who was not getting back to me with some information that I really felt that I needed. So I picked up the phone and I made the call. And um, they didn't answer, so I left a voicemail. And in my voicemail... um, I left a professional message, and then I hung up the phone, and um, some other part of my ego that I (laughs) did not know was going to take charge at that moment took charge at that moment, and I said to my colleagues who were in the room, well, that should do it. That ought to get her to call me back because, you know, geez, I don't know why they never, you have to leave, you know, nasty messages to get them to call back or you have to really push or call a hundred times. I don't remember what disparaging statement I made, but I made some sort of disparaging statement about this person that they had been irresponsible or, um, you know, weren't holding up their side of our professional relationship. And I kind of went on and on about it. And then I went on with my day. And then the next day, I got a voicemail from this person who said, I really didn't appreciate the message that you left. You didn't hang up the phone when you thought you hung up the phone. I heard everything you said after you hung up the phone. And I was just a horrible pit in my stomach of humiliation and shame and horror. At this point, I'm like racking my brain to try to remember exactly what I even said. And I just had this knot in my stomach. It just was, I felt sort of nauseous and just horrified. I couldn't just bail and walk away. I had to talk to her again. I had to figure out what to say. And um, there was nothing I could do except own it. So I did. made the phone call and I said I really really apologize for leaving that message it was really inappropriate for me to speak about you in that way um, when I didn't think that you were listening and wouldn't hear what I said and I appreciate you um, you know letting me know and not just letting me get away with it because um, again lesson a lesson learned on um, being the person that I want to be all the time not just some of the time.
Sarah, I love that story. I'm so relating to it. I, in fact, I think that I've done that kind of thing before, and I was so horrified that I've completely shut it out of my memory. <laughs> so in some ways, I'm so impressed with you that you can even let yourself remember that you did it. <laughs> oh, yes, I remember. <laughs> and what I want to know is, so you you get this sick feeling in your stomach when you get her message, and you realize, oh, my God, I can't run away from her. I've got to, I've got to keep engaging. How long a time frame was it from when you got her message to when you actually called her back? You know, time was of the essence with the person that we were working with. So I needed to call her back right away. Um, so I didn't have a lot of time to get support around those icky feelings I was having. I think it was that day I had to call her back. I wonder if that actually really helped you because the longer you had waited, the more tortured you would have felt. It would have given me a longer opportunity to beat myself up, which I think would have been my go-to, um, you know, to engage in some self-flagellation and, you know, or or I would have sought too many other people's opinions about what I should do instead of just instead of just acting. I know I needed to act. Right. So until I started doing this series on humiliation, I have been thinking of humiliation as something that someone else did to you or did to me. Because mm. I think when we're humiliated by someone else, the response is often rage. But in this case, it sounds like it was sort of mortification, horrible embarrassment, and that the remedy for it in some ways was to make contact again. Um, I'm curious to, to know like, what you learned about humiliation itself or like how, what you took from this that affected you for maybe other experiences where you might humiliate yourself. Um, well, it, tied with humiliation is definitely shame. Like the, I felt ashamed of myself. Um, so I wanted to not, it, it showed me how I'm not consistent in myself. It showed me how I might behave one way when the phone is on and another way when it's off. And I didn't like that about myself. It showed me a part of my humanness that I wanted to change or alter or be aware of or have mindfulness of in how I treated people and how I spoke to people. And the tricky thing, it seems to me, is like, you know, I so share that sort of earnest wish, that earnest conviction about not speaking ill of people behind their back. And yet part of being human is needing a place to vent and needing a place to kind of express frustration or misunderstanding or annoyance. And is it realistic, do you think, to be so consistent that you never speak ill of someone when they're not present? Um, I think that... It had to do with, it was more the tone. You know, it had, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And so there was a way that I could have expressed frustration about this person that would not have been disparaging or mean. I don't know that that's necessary. It, it had to do with the tone of voice and, you know, um, my disdain for her inability to call me back or whatever, um, it's sort of like, I, I mean, you didn't use the word contempt, and maybe that's too strong, but there's a way to be frustrated with someone, and then there's another way to be, like, scornful of them. It, like, takes it to another level. Yeah. I, I even may have humiliated her. That was just occurring to me message. also. Was she able to express her anger directly to you? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. She was not happy. And she had every right to not be happy, but I do, I think that that was it. She felt humiliated by what I had said behind her back that she was privy to because of my technological glitch. 
It so reminds me, I just last night watched the TED Talk that Monica Lewinsky gave. And the thing that I forgot about the Monica Lewinsky story was that there were 20 hours of recorded phone conversation with a woman that she thought was her friend. This woman that she, with whom she was uninhibited. She was just speaking so freely about her crush on the president, about which her feelings, and that as part of the federal investigation, they made her sit in a room and listen to all 20 hours of this tape. And she describes in her TED Talk the humiliation of sitting there and listening to herself speak so unfetteredly, so unassuming that anyone would ever hear it again, and the absolute horror when these tapes became a matter of public record and actually ultimately were posted online for millions of people to hear. And she talks about arriving finally at having compassion for herself. And she asks people to have more compassion and more empathy for people who are caught in these thinking, in these situations where they think they're private. And so I wonder now, all these years later, Sarah, do you feel like you've forgiven oh, yeah. yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, because that's part of part of you know knowing that I'm a human being and that you know I make mistakes too. And as much as I want to treat everybody with dignity and respect in every single moment, um, I'm not gonna. I the what would be necessary to monitor myself in that way, um, like the words you use were free and unfettered. Like I certainly don't want to be monitoring my thoughts and speech in such a manner that I might not ever do that again. But um, it was just a friendly reminder to, um, you know, not only have compassion for other people, but also to have compassion for myself. Yeah. In some ways, it feels to me that Sarah's story is less a story about how to try and be a better person and more a story about how to accept our basic humanness. We all vent about people we're frustrated with, and although it is horribly embarrassing when they find out, finally, it doesn't seem to me to be such a crime. These days, technology makes it more likely than ever that we will be exposed in these moments, potentially on a huge scale. And my hope is that rather than giving us cause to judge each other even more harshly, will actually lead to more compassion. Our next story is about a different kind of humiliation. It's about the kind of mortification we suffer inside, alone and in silence. Here's Amy. My name is Amy from Portland, Maine. So this was in the winter of 2001. Um, and I had just dropped out of med school and uh, decided to take a job as a barista at a coffee shop. Um, and I didn't think about it when I applied for the job, but the coffee shop was directly across the street from the children's hospital. And um, for a few weeks, the job was great. I didn't have to think. I didn't have to memorize facts and take exams. I was just steaming lattes and getting blueberry scones. And um, it was a great vacation from, from a really stressful few years. So this particular day, 
it was snowing and there were these huge flakes of snow coming down and we were playing Christmas carols because it was close to Christmas. And the door squealed open and in walked four or five of my medical school classmates. And um, they saw me and looked shocked. I was standing there behind the counter in my apron and my homemade dangling earrings. And one young woman, when she got to the counter, said, what are you doing here? It was as if I was breaking some horrible rule, the way she said it. And um, everything was sort of hanging there between us. All the late nights in the gross anatomy lab and the not knowing the right answer and all the stiff parties I went to and got too drunk at. And also I knew that she probably knew that I had failed the boards, not once, but twice. And so I said, as coolly as I could, I'm taking some time off. And um, what can I get you? And so they ordered, I remember taking out my pad and writing down the orders and my hand was shaking. And so they went to sit down and I got everything and brought it over to their table. They had all their notebooks out and they were quizzing each other and laughing. And I had this feeling of, wow, I used to be one of them and now I'm not. Now I'm a barista scraping tips from a jar and I had all this potential and now I suddenly have no future. And um, I went back behind the counter after I delivered their food and drink and I just, it was surreal. I. I remember wiping the counter again and again, but it was like I was somewhere else. And when they um, got up to leave, they said goodbye, and I felt this bulge sort of welling up in my throat, like I was going to cry or throw up or... I don't know what, and the door squealed shut, and the next person came in behind them, and I couldn't even talk to the next customer. So I ran to the bathroom, and I locked the door, and I sat on the toilet that I had scrubbed earlier that day, and the whole mess of it was just there with me, the mess before me, the mess behind me, all the questions that my parents and my friends had asked me, why don't you just take the test again? Why don't you go back? You'd be such a good doctor. And I just 
wanted to disappear. Amy, oh, I feel like in some ways that's the essence of humiliation, that wanting to disappear, like feeling so exposed. Yes. At the same time that you feel kind of one down. and Yes. So what happened next? Like you can't talk to the next person. You go to the bathroom. But when you went home that night, how did you tell anyone? Could you talk about it or did you, did you want to hide the story? It was weird. The whole the whole subject of me leaving med school was prickly. It was there was a lot of weight to it. Particularly because of some some plans that we had made as a couple. And we kind of had to rearrange a lot in our relationship after that. Because he was an artist and wanted to work as an artist and I was going to be a doctor, and that was going to work out. But there, it was a long road. I think my parents, I really didn't ever want to talk about it with my parents. They were so supportive of me and wanted just wanted me to be happy. But I think they, anything they said just would send me into a tailspin. Because in some ways, I think I was doing what I was doing for other people, even though no one really expected me to do it. That's so striking because I think my sense is that part of what makes humiliation so hard is how hard it is to recover from, how hard it is to talk about with people. And what I'm hearing you say is that the main people in your life, you're a sense of it anyway, they were so invested in you being in med school. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't that the humiliation was hard to talk about, it was that the subject itself was hard to talk about because they had their own stake in the game. Exactly. I remember my sister calling me in tears that I was not going to continue. She just kept thinking about what a great doctor I would have been and how could I walk away from this. And I'm struck at it's the sort of layers of meaning that being a doctor has in our culture. Like, and I think it's less and less true, but I think we used to assume that it was such a position of respect and authority and money. Exactly. And you can also be helpful to your family members. So there's so much in it for everyone else. Right. And there's such a, you know, humiliation. You know, it, it, what it means at root is sort of to be made to feel like dirt. And so, in a way, the, the, there was such a long way to fall. Mm -hmm. to, the dirt was a long way below being a doctor. Right. And I think that's why it's the contrast of being a barista in a coffee shop, which is something tons of 20-somethings are doing, and it's not a horrible thing to be doing at all. But that moment of contrast where I was serving them the scones and coffee, it just really hit me. You said it felt like you had broken some rule. What do you think that rule is that you'd broken? I think there's a lot of secrets in medicine. You probably know this. There's things that we don't talk about with the public. And I think one of those things 
for medical students is most medical students are miserable. I mean, it's a horrible time in in your life, in the life of a doctor, to be in medical school. At least it was for me and, and the people who I hung out with. Um, and I remember having these conversations like, God, I just, I, I want to leave. I got to get out of here. I'm so unhappy. Something's missing. Something big is missing from my life. And we would all sit around and say that. But then um, I remember one young man saying to me, well, if I left, I don't know what I would do. And I said, I could think of a million things I would do. And um, so the rule, the, the, you know, the, the law that I was breaking at that moment was, I decided to stand up and say enough is enough. Um, it almost seems to me like the rule you were breaking is by is sort of like the emperor has no clothes kind of rule. Like you were the one saying, this is a misery. <laughs> <laughs> and you I'm know unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> and that you were daring to expose that and that they did not want to hear that because right. that would mean that they'd have to pay attention to how they were feeling. I mean, right. that's my fantasy because, yeah. yes, med school is a misery. <laughs> <laughs> but you want to whine and complain about it, but but very few people have the courage to walk away. Right. Probably because of their loans or all the expectations you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I want to I ask you to think with me now about humiliation itself and sort of how this particular your experience of it might sort of be an example of humiliation as a larger experience. Mm-hmm. And um, you said something that was so poignant. You said, I used to be one of them, and now I'm not. And it made me wonder how often humiliation is about this fundamental feeling of no longer belonging, like of being one and then being cast out and in this way that makes you like less than and other and bad and do you think that that was part of it for you? Is that sort of feeling of the, I no longer belong? Definitely. I think when I, I made the decision to not finish my surgery rotation, which is the point at which I left, I felt so incredibly free for a moment. And it was like this job was, like I said, it was great. I didn't have to think. I just had to show up and go through the motions and that was so refreshing to me but then when they walked in it was like the reality of what I had done had suddenly set in and you know the hospital was looming out that window and I didn't even notice it or see it and then they came in and I realized what I had done and that I was no longer this privileged, full of potential 23-year-old who was going to be a great doctor someday. I was just like everyone else. Feels like in a way it was a profound loss of status, you know, this privilege that you're speaking about. Yeah, Yeah. which is such a strange thing. And I think going back to what you said about where we how we see doctors in this country I was reading an essay recently about a a med student had written it and he said being a med student 
it allows you this free pass. Like you walk into a friend's house and their parents automatically love you. You don't even have to really be a great person. You're automatically a so-called good influence. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right, and you just lost that. Yeah. And maybe you only recognize that you had it when you don't have it anymore. Right. One of the ways that I've learned to recognize moments of humiliation is because I find myself rehearsing over and over in my mind, like better comebacks mm-hmm. <laughs> afterwards, you know, things I wish I'd said in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's usually a really good marker when mm-hmm. humiliation has happened. And I'm curious if if there's a, you know, in the years since that experience, if you feel like you've stopped doing that, if you feel like you, um, if you feel like you're over it, and if so, how did you get there? Tons of people have asked me, why did you leave? Why did you leave? And I still have not come up with a great answer for that. I don't generally like to share the fact that I failed the boards twice. Um, I really was miserable, though. And I think, though, that finding writing, and I had always wanted to be a writer, even when I was a little kid, um... But I just didn't think that you could, I I couldn't, I knew there were writers out there, but I didn't know that you could actually be a real person in the world and make a living at being a writer. I didn't have any models in my family. So, um, but, so I didn't think I could do that. But when I left med school, I, a few, like a year or so after that, I realized that I wanted to pursue writing. And I think once I, once I really, I made that decision and sort of accepted it, it felt like my confidence came back. I wasn't just swimming around in this pool, not knowing how to get out. I, I had a way out. I wanted to go to graduate school. I wanted to write. I wanted to write books. And and so I think I still don't have a great answer for, you know, the, the casual, why did you leave med school? But I don't feel as humiliated when someone asks me that question. Amy, thank you so much for doing this, for being willing to share your story. So many of us feel humiliated and it's so hard to tell anybody. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Amy's story captures that horrible feeling where humiliation doesn't just encompass the present. It suggests a horrible future as well. This is also one of the hallmarks of depression. It distorts our sense of time. It seems we've always felt this low and we always will. And yet for Amy, it did end. My sense is that the reason it ended for Amy is that she now has a powerful and different reason to feel good about herself. She's become a novelist and a medical writer following her passion to teach writing to patients going through medical experiences like childbirth. That's an important thing to remember about humiliation. While it does take over at first, its power to define us as being like dirt can fade. Next week, we'll be exploring the kind of humiliation that comes from the way you're treated by someone else. We'll be looking at the humiliation of children in schools and how it's so commonplace that we often don't recognize it for what it is. We'll be examining the long-lasting impact such early experiences can have decades later. 
If you like this show and want to hear more of our series on the emotions that we hide, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Safe Space Radio. And you can find us on the web at safespaceradio.com and listen to any of our past shows. While you're there, please leave a comment and subscribe to our email list to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. And if you want to be in touch with me, please email me at dranne at safespaceradio.com. That's D-R-A-N-N-E at safespaceradio.com. I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you'd like to read Amy's essay about the day she left med school, look up Mount Hope Magazine for her essay, Cut Wide Open. My thanks to Gabe Graven for producing the show and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor. Coming up next is Speak Freely. Speak Freely.